Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, Circles of Care. The secret to courage. And transitioning to a better world. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. So Andrew, you you gave me a very valuable piece of advice right before we started recording. What was that advice? It was don't be weird, John. Yeah, and there was some disdain attached to it. You're like, don't be weird. Whatever you do, don't be weird. All right. Now, you haven't said to me... You haven't said that to me for the past 60 episodes, but no, for, for, for this I, one... Maybe I should have, though. Yeah, maybe you should have, <laughs> because, you know, I didn't heed your advice always. But for some reason, you said that for this particular episode. What, what was the reason well, for you, that? Well, you had said you were a little bit nervous. Yeah. And, and sometimes when you're nervous, you make bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes when you're not nervous, you make bad jokes. <laughs> so basically, I just have a shitty sense of humor, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I try my best. But yeah, yeah and, and so the topic was... We were talking about trans today. Yeah. Um, and this is something that is we don't talk about every day. No. Um, I definitely don't talk about every day. And so I was nervous about how do I even talk about something I don't talk about? Yeah. What am I going to say? What am I not going to say? And I think the fear is is saying the wrong thing and, and being offensive. Offensive. Yeah. And clearly we don't want to make our guests feel uncomfortable. And I think... What people do, what we do as a society, is if something makes us feel uncomfortable, we just, <laughs> just avoid, avoid it. it. Yeah, yeah, and um, and that's you know the opposite of what we wanted to do today. We wanted to offer people a way of, of feeling more comfortable having a conversation about being transgendered, about or having that conversation w- with someone who's transgendered, and um, and yeah, we 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 went into those areas today. We had. Uh, Really, a truly amazing guest today, uh, Tony King Rose, who is only 21 years old and um, and is fully open to having these kind of conversations and being an advocate for people in the community that he's in. And it's um, it, you know it's quite touching uh, listening to Tony speak and um, and the the reason behind being so courageous and and being out there. Uh, even though there's there's fears attached to to doing so, yeah, masterclass in courage once again from from a guest. I mean, he just right from the get go, he said, you know, I don't like attention, and and so here he is, you know, on a video call, um, talking about a really def- delicate issue, and so he was willing to go to those places, um, and and put attention on himself to share his story, and and when we asked, and he he does share his journey. On, on, you know, as a 15-year-old grappling with some of these these tough questions and the challenges of, of, the, of the family and friends and support around that that had their own fears and questions. And I think one of the cool things that came out of this episode is the realization that we all have fears with things that are a little bit different and things we don't totally understand. But what we need to do as a society and as caregivers and people and parents is put away those fears and dialogue and enter into the fears of other people. Because he had his own fears, but he was kind of alone in some ways, having to grapple with them. Um, and so that, that, was, that was kind of the inspiring thing for me is, is, is sort of pushing past our own sort of maybe selfish fears to mm-hmm. enter into somebody else's. Yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. So after... Having this conversation, this is maybe an example of, you know, what other people can do as well. After having the conversation that you were nervous about, how do you feel now? You know, I feel emboldened. I feel like I want to have more of these kind of conversations. And and I realize this wasn't really that difficult. You know, we we avoid these kind of conversations. But Tony, maybe it's because he was so, so generous and gracious with us. It made it easy. But... It, it kind of is easy. If you care more about the other person's feelings than perhaps yourself, it, it's probably a bit easier. Um, so it just maybe somewhat just get over yourself a little bit. And, yeah. You know. That's great. It's good advice just in general. Perfect. <laughs> and emboldened is one of the most impressive words I've ever heard you say well, on the podcast. See, I know you're an English major. And so I always, every episode, try and bring out new and exciting words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Enjoy this episode, everyone. Um, you know, may it make you feel emboldened in your own life to have to have the crucial conversations and deal with tough topics. Yeah. And you know what you find out, just like a lot of obstacles, it really wasn't that tough. Yeah. Be courageous. Boom. <laughs> we are here on Obstacle Course with Tony King Rose, who is uh, representing 
among other things, Trans Death Care, which is a, a business that you started. And um, and there's a, a lot of different directions that, that we're going to go in this conversation. But uh, first of all, welcome. We're really excited to have you on today. Yeah, I'm excited to be with you guys today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for making the time. We know that you have a, a pretty stacked schedule right now with, with the, the work that you do. Um, you, you mentioned before we got rolling that you're working 14-hour days. I think the uh, one of the places we wanted to get started with in, um, is regarding the the trans death care um, business that you started, and, and you have a, a big Instagram following. And if you wanted to just explain um, why death care, what what um, what initially drew you into um, to that venture? To I was going to say to that side of of life, but <laughs> I guess it's the other side of life, right? <laughs> yeah. So what, yeah, what inspired you? Well, what inspired me was I kind of, I didn't really grow up much around death, but I always kind of was interested in it. And once I got an experience with my grandmother being palliative and kind of sitting with her for a week by her bedside before she had eventually died when I was back home in Vancouver, um, yeah, after her death, I just kind of wanted to explore what happens and see what the process was. And yeah, I just kind of dived into it that way. So, so Tony, (laughs) you know, you explained a week of, of sitting with your grandma as she was, as she she was passing. And, and, you know, as we know, there's various stages of, of somebody dying. And, and I'm just wondering um, what your emotional journey was like that week um, while you sat um, did did you know what to expect, or or, or was it kind of like a new, sort of like a a new experience for you? It was a completely brand new experience for me. Um, I was probably mostly in some sort of shock while going through it because I was dealing with all of like my mother and all of her siblings being stressed out about their mother dying because. Mm-hmm. She had chosen that it was her time because she didn't want to go into a senior care facility herself, and she wanted to stay at home, so she decided that she would die at home, and mm-hmm. it's totally fine for her. Mm-hmm. It was her choice, but yeah, it started stressing out the family quite a bit. Mm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and my initial reaction is that a lot of people in that situation would be um would be discouraged from from being in further situations like that right um because of the stress because of the a a lot of emotion obviously why do you think you rather than um putting that behind you actually decided to dig in and 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 be curious about it Mm -hmm. i think it was because we didn't initially have a funeral. Um, Like, she went to direct cremation, and we ended up having a celebration of life a year after in, like, August, near her birthday, and actually, like, buried her cremains then. So. Okay. Yeah. For me, I think it was my own way of, like, figuring out how to deal with my grief. Mm -hmm. And how people deal with grief and what grief was in general because I didn't really have any support around that in any other way. So, Well, and, and I think it's worth noting that, that you're, you're 20 years old, first of all. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and how old were you when you were, when you were going through this with your grandma? I'm 21 now. I think uh, okay. I was... 18 or 19. Right. So I think it's been two years. That's quite young and quite young to, to take on such a, such an experience. And so, um, I think, I think it's extraordinary in some ways that, um, you know, that very tragic, perhaps, perhaps some, some trauma there as well, having to experience that to, to, like Andrew said, to decide from there that you want to enter into, um, helping other people get navigate this 
um, as a career. And, and it seemed like a fairly quick decision because it's, it's only been a few years. And so was there like a moment where you said there was a realization where it was like, you know, I think I'm needed in this realm or I can provide something in this realm or, or was it, did it come up about from some, some other way? Um, I'm a person who's always been a caregiver because I grew up with a disabled brother Okay. He was 13 months younger than me, so it's always been in my nature to care for people. And I never really felt like I was finding a good way to care for people in the way that I wanted to. And once I kind of figured out what a funeral director was and, like, what the role entailed and, like, what grief entails and how people feel, I kind of just wanted to dive into it and see if it was for me that's awesome mm-hmm. yeah what so what does training for being a, a funeral director look like um that's it's schooling that um i i've never known anyone who's who's studied to be a funeral director and i think that's <laughs> probably the case for most people i mean many of us have gone to university and you talk about other people's courses and you have maybe a bit of an understanding of what philosophy courses are like or what you know biology courses are like but I don't really have any clue what studying to be a funeral director is like so do you want to um just enlighten us a little bit on that uh help our help our complete uh ignorance um in that field (laughs) well Andrew I've seen six feet under so I'm pretty much an expert (laughs) yeah I have not (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, you're definitely an expert then. <laughs> um, I I didn't really know either. It was really hard to find, actually, what the funeral school was at first when I was initially looking up how to go to funeral school in Canada. Um, but for Canada and especially BC, it's all uh, the Canadian College of Funeral Services. Pretty much, there's, I think, a couple more schools in the East Coast, but most of the provinces are taught by this one school, which is the one that I go to as well. Um, They're based out of Manitoba, so they do most of it online and have, like, in-class seminars and will come to the province and everyone will congregate in, like, a main town, like the capital, like, we do it at SFU Harbor Center. And we get to have like in class discussions and kind of go do little field trips and learn more about funeral service in person and from our actual directors. So it's really cool. Now, at what part of your journey did you decide to start trans death care? Was, was that something that you had in mind as you were beginning um, the, the work as a funeral director or did you realize that there was a, a gap um, a, a need that needed to be filled how, how exactly did that, that take place well I had known I had wanted to go to funeral school from September that day or the, no September that year sorry god my brain's a little tired <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I knew from September that year, but applications were obviously closed by then. It was like 2018, and I would be able to get the application package in May. So I had this whole like nine, ten month chunk just be thinking about funeral directing, like what funeral school would be like. And I kind of started questioning whether or not there were trans people in funeral service and I started Googling and all that would come up was this one article about this one woman who came out as trans later on in life when she was already working as a funeral director and the funeral director was kicked out and fired for what she was doing. And yeah, it was Hmm. just a horrible article and very discouraging and Mm I was kind of wondering if there was any trans people at all and like if I would even get in or if it would be supportive up here. But 
So, so speaking of being supportive, um, when, when you came up with the idea to go into the industry of death, as we call it, or maybe no one calls it that, um, was was your friends and family supportive of that idea? They're kind of like weirded out by it for sure. <laughs> right. Um, I've always kind of been that one weird black sheep kid, anyways, just because of how my life has been and my own life journey. So I think they're just kind of like, okay, we'll let him do it, figure it out. Right. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Even just being a, as a young person who's interested in being a funeral director, I just, I would expect that to be out of the ordinary. Um, I'm, our, I think my my mental picture of a funeral director is generally somebody who, who's like not far from being in the grave themselves, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I wonder uh, it because you have um, you identify with being as you termed a black sheep. Like, do you think that made it easier to go into a, a profession um, or an arena that that was already that was also one that was kind of um, found to be a bit unusual or, or um, you know, not, not what most people um, naturally think of as, as a, uh, as a 20 year old getting into a, a new career. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely, you have to be a certain type of person to want to be in funeral school. I've definitely learned that like going to school and being with, everyone from level one and level two and just communicating with them and just networking with them and talking about stuff and learning. And we all have like the same drive, even though our class ages range from me like 20 years old to, I think we have someone in their fifties, sixties as well. Like, there's a whole range of people who are deciding to go into death care at different walks of life. And it's just really cool. And I can definitely see that we have this similar personality and similar, like caring nature and drive to just care for people that a funeral director really needs. Well, and and Tony, you know, after listening to you and you sharing about how you've always been somebody who's who's wanted to help people you've always had that empathy perhaps is a good word for it um yeah it kind of makes sense that you'd want to be involved in perhaps the olympics of being there for people which is yeah at, at one of the most vulnerable times of their life right and, and not only that but 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 now trans death care i mean you're, you're really there in that in that most delicate vulnerable spot where a lot of people aren't able to be there for people and and so it, it it makes sense to me. Perhaps your life has been building for for this, and you've just recognized it at an early age. Um, so I think that's extraordinary. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I started trans death care after my first week orientation at school because I felt there was a need for it, and I felt there was a need for advocacy for trans people in death care and I also wanted to use it as a platform to outreach and see how many trans people and gender non-conforming people are actually in the field already or wanting to be in the field because it's a really small small community of funeral directors and I've I've been seeing this more with the pandemic too it's it's definitely a community that everyone relies on. Like I feel for the funeral directors in Nova Scotia right now and in New York. And I got to talk to a funeral director in New York and hear their experiences and how they were feeling about how they weren't being able to provide what they wanted to for their families that were grieving right now. And yeah. I mean, some, some of the most heartbreaking stories that have been coming out of the COVID um, 19 situation is just how many people are, are dying alone um, without yeah. without their loved ones around them because of the restrictions. And, and I think, 
that, that, that to me is one of the most heartbreaking, devastating parts of this whole pandemic is, is to live your whole life and then to die alone. Uh, it, it must be so difficult for, for people like yourself who have gotten into that um, line of work because you love and care for people a lot and not and to see them in that situation and not be able to do a lot to help them must be must be difficult to, to handle, I would imagine. Yeah, it is difficult. It's difficult to hear too because I'm not getting to serve people in the death stage of life right now. I'm doing the pre-death with seniors. So mm-hmm. that as well is difficult because they're both fairly on the ends of their walks of life. So it will be interesting to see how this pandemic plays out and how how that affects the end of their lives too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's really uh, it's really easy to kind of fall into a little bit of the darkness and, and negativity surrounding uh, the pandemic conversation. And not that mm-hmm. we we don't want to do that, or there's anything wrong with that, because that's just that is the reality. There are our negative emotions, yeah. and and that's okay. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to have this For conversation sure. be too dark <laughs> or, yeah. or or sad. Um, most definitely we, we like to we like to um, you know bring, yeah. bring some joy to people whenever we can so with that being said I wanted to ask um, after having started trans death care are there any uh, any notable stories that stand out for for people that have uh, have reached out to you or or have there been any um, any um, yeah anyone that's that's really responded or, or, um, or how have you noticed that, that you've helped fill that, that void in, in the death care community? Well, initially I had a really, really good start because there's this one entrepreneur on Instagram called funeral bossing. I don't know if you know her, No, but, when I first made like the Instagram handle, I started following a couple people and I followed her and she messaged me back and was like, Hey, do you want help with like a logo and stuff? And nice. made me a logo and has been like supporting me completely throughout this. And she ended up helping me do a little mini merch line to help me kind of pay for stuff. And, going to put towards I was going to put towards the conferences that were going to happen but I'll put towards making trans death care a nonprofit and registering it that way so that I can kind of keep it more solidified in the community um, I've gotten a lot of messages from people just thanking me for being there and existing and saying that they've shared it with their friend who is trans and that it made them feel better about their own end of life because they were worried about stuff or that it just comfort comforted people that there's options and that they can do something about their own end of life as well because some people are thinking about that and I'm glad that I can help them at least think about it in a positive way. Yeah, that's that's really beautiful. Um, one of the things that you wrote in a blog was that um, you you were putting an importance, or you encouraged people to put an importance on who who their loved ones died as, rather than who they were born as. And yeah. I, I thought um, maybe mm-hmm. you you could elaborate on that on that powerful statement a little bit. Yeah. Well. From a trans standpoint, depending on the person and who they identify as, they may not identify with who they were before their transition or before they came out. Um, I semi-identify with myself before I came out because I know that's a part of my life journey, but I really don't like to associate with it as much as possible, in my own personal opinion. but I know people who are comfortable with their whole walk of life. Um, so from a personal standpoint, a lot of 
a lot of it started out about my own opinions about my own mortality and the fact that I would want to be remembered as how I want to be remembered. And at that point I didn't have my legal name change. Like I'm, I just got that done this month during the pandemic. So that was a good thing for me. That was a good start to the pandemic. <laughs> mm -hmm. So for me, that was a worry as well was whether or not I would be remembered as Tony or Anton or my dead name mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so Tony, I, I wonder, I wonder if, if this might be a good time to maybe go back a little bit and, and share a, a bit about a bit of your journey. Um, you know, you, you shared earlier when we brought up, um, how your family and, and friends reacted to your choice of career. And you said, well, I've always kind of been a black sheep, uh, always been a, been, yeah. you know, so yeah. perhaps you could, you could give our listeners and, and the viewers a, a bit more information about what, what that looked like. What was there, was there a moment, um, growing up where, where, where you realized things were going to change? Um, and, and what did that, what did that feel like? Maybe, maybe you could share that. For me, it was once I was like more questioning my own sexuality and was in my teens. And once I hit 15, I needed to be out of my house. I couldn't really live with my family in that environment. Um, I needed to be able to care for myself instead of my brother. And I decided to get myself into foster care by any means possible and ended up doing that. And once I was there, I was able to more explore myself and what was going on with me and what was going on with my brain and how I was feeling about stuff in life. And I ended up figuring out, Hey, I'm trans. This is, this is a thing. And it really helped me for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Obviously, it, it, it's a deeply personal conversation, and, and I just want to acknowledge that and, and thank you for for being open to discussing um, what what is undoubtedly um, a, a great challenge. But um, this is obstacle course, and and we are here to talk about um, overcoming some of life's greatest challenges and um, and then sharing the story with others so that they can maybe benefit from what we've learned. So. Um, that's, you know, this is kind of the purpose of, of having these conversations. So um, I, I just wanted to kind of dig into that process that, that you mentioned. I mean, you, when you were 15, 16 years old and, and you were really exploring your own sexuality and identity, um, I, I mean, it's a, a time in people's lives and everyone's lives who where we have so many questions and, and we're... we're so confused and I, I just wonder if you um, thinking back to that time what was that process like um, were there any resources that you used or or a method of questioning or, or were you kind of just winging it and, and seeing what happened if you could uh, elaborate on that a little bit that would be um, I'm sure a lot of people it would uh, bring some help to yeah uh, well for me I grew up on the coast so sunshine coast seashell so there wasn't too many resources. For me, the first resource was our GSA. I started getting really involved with that and just kind of being supportive as an ally and then kind of questioning my own sexuality, being like, okay, yeah, no, this is why I'm kind of interested in this kind of walk of life. And so that was my only really support on the coast until I got into foster care and started kind of being more open about sexuality and exploring that a bit. I ended up going to a gay camp and um, I also got really into this one artist. They're from Alberta. Their name is Ray Spoon. Um, they're non-binary and they had this one documentary called My Prairie Home that was like their autobiography I guess in a way about their childhood and their obstacles that they went through. Mm -hmm. And it was soundtracked by their own music that they had wrote and sung because they're a musician and they have wonderful music. You should look them up after. Yeah, we'll um, definitely put yeah. them in the show notes as well. Yeah, they were one of my first inspirations and kind of one of the first people to 
get that question in my mind about gender and that it's not just male, female, and that it could be something that you feel you don't fit in completely and that it's not a box and it's more of a spectrum like everything else in biology and science as well. And yeah, that kind of just started my journey in questioning it. So and then, yeah. Yeah. When, when, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Once I moved to Vancouver, that's more when I was able to come out and learn more and be more comfortable with coming out. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So when when you look back at you know I guess about five or six years ago when when it sounds like this 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 really began, um, what, what do you think are some things that you know the the people around you could have said or or did that would have helped you navigate that time more easily or smoother? Um, for me having more people be more open to the change of calling me Tony and using my preferred pronouns in the beginning, that was really hard, especially with my family. When I came out to them, they were, my parents were freaking out and thinking it was a phase and doing that whole, oh, it's just another thing that they're trying to do for attention and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And they were telling me that I would always be their little girl and that can't change that. And that kind of stuff hurt me when I was trying to figure out and learn about my own identity. So that was hard for sure. And that's something that a lot of people experience when they come out because not everyone is accepting of course not everyone's ready to be accepting at first or even knows what gender identity is and being trans and being gender non-conforming you know it seems to me what what lies at the heart of a lot of that is probably fear as as human beings we, we tend to fear the things we don't understand and especially when things are happening to our loved ones and, and so I'm just oh, yeah. wondering how we can do a better job, you know, as a culture to, to kind of rid, rid ourselves of the fear of, of, you know, change and, and, and new things. Um, what, what are some strategies you think we can, we can start using to, to get rid of that fear and, and be willing to have those tough conversations? I think being more open-minded and willing to explore those conversations is a really good start. Um, Because if you're closed-minded and you're just set in your own ways and you're the person that's thinking your your opinion is the only opinion that matters, um, then you're probably not going to get anywhere Mm -hmm. in the conversation. Um, But for sure, being able to explore and learn what being trans is and gender non-conforming and just letting that person know that hey maybe I don't understand this right now but I'm trying to and I want to mm-hmm. and being able to express that you're willing to learn would be also a really good thing if you're unable to do that transition quickly yourself of the name and the pronouns or being able to correct yourself when you do error yourself with names and pronouns and apologizing for it in some way that's comfortable for both of you. Yeah. 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 I I think that a lot of people um, have those fears or insecurities as, as you mentioned, saying the wrong thing and and that can lead to people um, just avoiding or, or ignoring um, and as we know, when we avoid or ignore problems, they don't actually go away. No. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> so for, for people out there who um, maybe they work with somebody who's trans or, or maybe they have a, a distant family member or, or um, not somebody in their, in their nuclear family exactly, but have, have someone who is trans in their lives, um, 
rather than avoiding or ignoring um, to, to not say the wrong thing, how might someone begin to have that conversation or, um, or breach the topic to, to make sure that um, one is being respectful and, and, um, and, and can just kind of start, start a, an open conversation? Um, well, I feel like if you have a trans or gender non-conforming person in your life or in your circle that you know, if they have pronouns they want you to use, they will tell you, um, for sure. Okay. Especially if they're comfortable with telling you, um, just approaching and treating them like they're a normal person and not like there's something wrong with them for being trans or non-conforming is definitely a good approach and just being their friend and treating them like a human being and just being like, Hey, how are you? Um, for approaching the pronouns, I would definitely be like, Hey, I'm wanting to learn more about what pronouns are comfortable for you. Cause they know that people use different pronouns and, that would, I want to know which ones you're most comfortable with and which ones are no goes for you. Definitely, it's definitely one way you can approach it when you're talking to someone and asking them about pronouns if you're not sure about that. Well, and, and one, yeah. of, one of the things that, that has, has occurred to me is, you know, as you were, as you were going through the initial questions yourself, um, there must have been a lot of fear you had um, yourself, and and I mentioned that the people around you um, probably had their own fears, which is why they dealt with it the way they did. But perhaps, perhaps what we need to do is be willing to to be courageous enough to to see past our own fear to to help the fears of of the people actually dealing with it. And, yeah, and it's it's almost like we put our own fear and you know we we put our own fear first. And it pro- prohibits conversation and learning and growing. So, so um, yeah. you know, you know, the, it could be the fear of not understanding, or the fear of not wanting to say the wrong thing, or the fear of, you know, whatever it is. If we could just put that past and then just have a human conversation, like you said, and just ask the question, "Hey, you know, how, what what pronouns would you like me to use? Hey, you know, what, what's what's this feel like for you? What's what what are some of your challenges? Like we're trying to yeah. do right now, actually." Um, it doesn't, yep. doesn't maybe need to be rocket science it just, um, have a, no. have, have a friendly human conversation is what I hear you saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's and the it's... same thing with seniors. You're right. Yeah. Totally. Treat them like, yeah. 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 And, and sometimes those conversations do take a little bit of courage. Um, oh, for sure. And, and going outside of the comfort zone, which is something that we, yeah we are our big proponents of and, and yeah. we we like to say that um you know a great life begins outside of your comfort zone and i was oh, just, yeah. i was curious um tony where where do you think you have uh fostered the courage where where do you think your courage has come from because just mm-hmm. you know for being a young person still um but being willing to be um this open about your own journey and and as well being an advocate and and being a resource for people um where that that necessitates courage you 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 are showing a great deal of courage in in just being the person you you already are at at a young age so where where do you think that courage has come from Mm. um i don't know (laughs) probably (laughs) probably some of my own life traumas um those can definitely affect how you see the world and how you want to approach your life um those ones are a bit too deep to go into but yeah um i think as well for me i've never really liked being in the spotlight or like having attention on me in any way shape or form so even when i first started like the Instagram with trans FK, I was like, Oh my God, like, why am I doing this in a way too? Cause I was like, 
I don't like attention. What am I? I don't want attention. Why? Why am I giving myself this much attention and trying to get attention brought on me for a reason? And once once I started getting that feedback and seeing that it was actually making that impact, and realizing that I was wanting to make that type of impact on people and in my lifetime, um, I think that's really where the courage has come from to like keep on doing this yeah because funeral school is hard (laughs) Hmm. it's definitely not a cakewalk um it's seven courses so we're doing a lot of different things because we have to learn about bodies and grief and laws and all of the stuff that you don't really think about till one death happens but yeah yeah, it's seven courses, and we're, and this isn't light material. No, <laughs> right? Like it's it's, it must, no, it's it must not. be uh you know uh, you know as, as intellectually challenging as it is also emotionally challenging. Uh, one thing I heard you say in, in describing your process because we all have a process of courage, um, and really that's just feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Um, as as, yeah. we've, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, but it sounds like your process is is you've seen the big picture and the value of why you're doing it. Um, yeah. you believe in what you're doing so much that you're willing to kind of fight past the, perhaps the, the feeling of fear or the feeling of questions or, or challenges and do it anyway, because it's, it's worth it to you. It's worth feeling it because, because you know, ultimately what you're going to do is going to provide, um, hope and safety and, and, and care for, for many people. And, and I think yeah. that's extraordinary. Yeah. That's that's really, I think, the process for all of us is to find that thing that that is bigger than our own small concerns. Yeah, it's definitely something that even if I make one person's death a little bit easier on their memorialization and their friends and loved ones who want to celebrate their life the way they wanted it, then yeah. I'd, I'd just be happy with that too. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. I, I feel you there. Um, I've, I've often had a, a similar approach to the podcast um, as I've traditionally been someone who isn't super comfortable being fully open um, <laughs> and, and, you know, sharing my own story on the podcast was, was pretty difficult as John can attest to. <laughs> and then editing the podcast was one of the most uncomfortable horrible things i've ever i've ever done i'm like you got to keep some of it Andrew. oh yeah that would be <laughs> yeah so but as as you mentioned tony um the the being of service and the impact if if it even just makes a one shift in one person it, it makes it worthwhile it makes that bit of discomfort worthwhile so um i'm, I'm with you there yeah, you know, I, I thought I thought of, we could ask a fun question here now, um, if, if, oh, yeah. if that's OK. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, you know what, what you, you know, what what you do for a living is quite, quite, you know, as we've talked about um, dealing with dealing with death and, and caring for people in those in those times, it can be very taxing and emotionally draining. What do you do for fun? Like, what do you do just for self-care? Because I think that's one of the most important things for caregivers is to make sure they're taking time. Um, to care for themselves and make sure that they believe they deserve that care. And I think that can be a challenge for some. For, so what what do you do for self-care, Tony? And what do you do just to like laugh and, and, and just, you know, feel that, feel that relief? Well, for self-care, I like to do a lot of sleeping, especially now that <laughs> nice. I'm working. Nice. But 12, 14 hour shifts, it's a very good feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely for me. The self-care right now is hanging out with my roommates and my partner um, who is isolating and I get to like kind of laugh with them and I live in a house with seven other people so they're all isolating and I'm the only one that's working so Hmm. they're around doing stuff and the backyard we have we have like a little seating area now so we get to hang out and laugh and listen to music and that's kind of been a really good self-care for me right now um i also since 
I had my term two exams and I have a little bit more free time. I've started playing my instruments a bit more and I'll start doing that as well when I have my days off. So, so what do you play? I'll, I play the saxophone and the clarinet. Nice. Yeah. Not at the same time. <laughs> no. Okay. That's impossible. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> I'm not that good. No, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So it sounds like music is, is a big part. Yeah. Music's a big part for me, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's that whole idea of uh, how we need escape, but escape isn't actually a negative thing. It can actually be quite life-giving um, and, and comforting. And, and um, yeah, I, it's great to hear that, that in a time of, um, of stress and, um, and, and working in a field that could be pretty dark and daunting and and tough um that that you're making the time for for that escape um because that that is as john said it's so important that caregivers also give that care to themselves um so we we appreciate that keep it up yes thank you i will definitely keep it up (laughs) Um, i gotta (laughs) yeah totally yeah um maybe as as a a way of beginning to bring the conversation to a close. Um, we, one question we like to ask people uh, is, do you have any um, requests of our listeners or, or offerings to our listeners um, just for, for people listening out there? And, and you can take this conversation or take this question into any part of the conversation. Um, but, but w- what, what offerings or, or requests of, of those listening might you have? Um, I'd say if any, anyone listening has any friends or family members that are trans or non-conforming and this helped them kind of understand a little bit more about what life might be like for them. Like, I'd love to hear that and just hear if this affects people in any positive way, because that would be awesome. And that would kind of give me a little boost in my own little ego. I'm not gonna lie there. <laughs> um, and just get people to relax and love each other a bit more. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. Everyone's going through a lot of like externalized grief, and the it's, the whole world seems to be grieving openly in some weird way. And death is everywhere, so that's really hard. And I acknowledge that a lot of people are probably experiencing the most grief they've experienced in their lives with everything that's happening. Um, with that, I would just say, let yourself feel those feelings and thank yourself for feeling them and being able to acknowledge them and recognize them in yourself. If you notice that this is a tough time for you emotionally as well, because acknowledging your grief is great and it's a good way to start working on it. Well, in in my, my last question for you is, um, you know, as a, as someone who's just turned 21, you know, you probably think about and are dealing with death more than any, you know, maybe all the 20 year olds on the Island combined, even (laughs) Yeah, Uh, 20 year olds are immortal. They, they, you know, they're invincible. Um, so as someone who has, who has had the advantage to perhaps, be in that realm and, and be learning. Um, what do you feel or what message would you give to the other 20 somethings, um, of what death has taught you about life and living? It's, it's a lot about love. There's a lot of love involved and what, what sticks out in death is the care and the enjoyment of life that people have and, even if someone's the worst person in the world, they're still going to remember the good things about that person. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just live life how you want to live it and enjoy it because it's your life as well. Yeah. And it won't go on forever. (laughs) Yeah. No, it won't. Yeah. It definitely won't. Yeah. 
Amazing. Well, thanks yeah. for that, Tony. The, those were some um, some beautiful parting words and, and, and really great messages to, to put out there. And, and um, I know that uh, for at least John and I, you know, you've got you got two listeners now who were um, affected in a positive way. For sure. Um, and, and yeah, thank you for everything you've given um, today as well to the trans community and, and to people um, who, who you care for. And um, we can't wait to see where where your journey goes next and and what a an incredible impact you're going to continue to make because um yeah we're just getting started and and uh the the courage that you've already shown um just will will be a building block for for further acts of courage uh, as, as you move forward so thanks for bringing us yeah. into your journey and, and we're we're thrilled and excited to see where it goes next we know you don't like attention, but we are going to tell people about this episode. So sorry about that. <laughs> That's fine. I'm getting used to it now. Perfect. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Tony. And and um, yeah, we'll we'll stay in touch. And 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 best of luck. Um, you know, continuing to get through this this dark time. And and uh, yeah. And thanks for for being support to to others to for them to do so as well. Well, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you liked what you heard here, check out the website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. If we had one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have fragile egos. Well. But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank. We've got our senior technical advisor, Andy Robertson. Our media partner and web designer, Sticky Media. And of course our host and snack coordinator, Judy Langford. Oh, peanut butter cookies. You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast and on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.